0: Well, good morning again, and thank you again for being here today. Find your Bibles, James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And uh, we begin with the last chapter in the book of James as we've been studying through James each and every Sunday. Can I just ask you to do me a favor? We are meeting as a staff tomorrow to try to think about uh, next steps, to plan and prepare. You know, we've had our regathering plan on the website. We're meeting an all-day off-site staff meeting tomorrow. And as you know, the situation continues to change. It, uh, it It's always different. And so just be praying that God gives us wisdom as we seek to lead in a way that honors him, keeps people safe, and, uh, and and is best for our people and for our church as well. So be praying that God would give us wisdom as we try to consider what's going to happen in the future. We don't know what school is going to look like. Uh, be praying for me personally, because we don't even know if we'll have college football. And I don't know I don't know how I'm going to handle that if uh, if we don't have college football. Uh, I'll just say God's good. He's faithful. He's in control. But uh, there's lots of going on, lots of questions, okay? And uh, just uh, just be praying about that. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. I'm in a series on Sunday mornings entitled When Faith Works. We're talking about how you live out your faith in practical everyday life. That's exactly what James teaches us. He, he shows us how to apply these beliefs to our lives that then impact our behavior. And today from James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, I'm going to talk to you about something all of us can probably identify with. I'm going to talk to you today about money trouble. Money trouble. James chapter 5. Begin reading with me in verse 1. We'll read to verse 6. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you've kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Remember this morning, the power is in the perfect word of God. Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would teach us, that you would challenge us and transform us by its truth. And I pray that we would apply its truth to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Money trouble. Jesus says in Luke chapter 16 that no one can serve two masters. Either he will, he'll he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he finishes with this phrase, You cannot serve God and money. Do you see that? You cannot serve God and money. And why does he say that? Have you ever wondered why does he say you can't serve God and money? Why does he say you can't serve God and Satan, or you can't serve God and fame, or you can't serve God and man? Why does he say you can't serve God and money? Because Jesus knew that at the heart of man, there was an allure of wealth, money, and possessions, and that that allure would be incredibly strong. In fact, one commentator says this, nothing more clearly reveals the state of a person's heart than his view of money and material possessions. Nothing more clearly reveals reveals our values, that which is most important to us than how we view possessions and the resources that God has entrusted to us. Now here in James chapter 5, James deals with those whom we would call the wealthy wicked. Those that are wicked, those that use their money to oppress the poor, those that have gained their resources in an ungodly manner, and those that see their resources as bringing them prominence and significance. In James's day in Jerusalem, it was a bad situation. The wealthy would, would they would oppress the poor, and they would control the courts, and they would control, and there was no recourse for the poor, and that had crept into the church as well. And so James is dealing with this in the context of the church. Now, when you hear me talk about the wealthy, you may think, well, this sermon doesn't apply to me. I'm not wealthy. James chapter five, verses one to six, it really doesn't have anything to say to me. Well, I wanna try to, I wanna try to make a point this morning. You might disagree with me at the beginning, but hopefully by the end, you'll agree. You are more wealthy than you think. In fact, in the grand scheme of things, in the context of the entire world, you are very wealthy. You say, pastor, you've not seen my bank account. How do you know? Let's just say this if if your household income is greater than $50,000 a year, you are in the top 50% of the United States of America. Think about that. Your household income is greater than $50,000 a year. You are in the top half of income earners in the United States. Now let's take it up a notch. If your household income is $75,000 a year, That's both spouses. If both spouses are working, $75,000 a year, the income of the household, then you are more wealthy than 80%. You're in the top 20% in the United States of America income earners. That means that if you see 10 families as you're walking down the street, statistics are that you will be more wealthy than eight out of those 10 families. Now, let's take it up another notch. This is, we're, we're getting really high. If you're, your household income is $135,000 a year in the United States, you're in the top 5% of income earner, earners across the entire nation. The top 5%, that makes you filthy rich. When you spread this out internationally, the statistics become even more staggering. Do you know that, that over 3.5 billion people across the world live on less than $2 a day? billion people live on less than $2 a day. Did you also know that in any given month in your house, you will use more clean water. You will wash clothes, you'll wash dishes, you'll wash your car, you'll cook, you'll take showers and baths. You will use more clean water in one month than many people see in an entire lifetime. The grand scheme of things, and the, the scale across the globe, you and I are incredibly wealthy. And so we can't say James chapter 5 doesn't apply to us. God is speaking to us here. And then there's a there's another assumption that I that I, I kind of want to call out, and it's a false assumption that the more money I have, the more generous I'll be. If I have more wealth, then I'll give more away, but I can't give right now because I don't have enough. The study was done, and in the United States, there are about eight. Hundred families that have a net worth of over $100 million. If one of those families is here this morning, I'd love to talk to you after the service, okay? 800 families have a net worth of $100 million or more. But do you know when they ran the statistics to see the charitable giving of these families, guess what it was? Less than 2%. Less than 2%. So just because you have more money doesn't mean that you'll be more generous. And here, James begins to talk about those that are wealthy. And now look, it's not a sin to have wealth. It's not a sin to have resources. It's not a sin to have money. And that is not what James is saying. He rebukes those who trust in their wealth. Like Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He goes on to say that you can't, that you can't serve God in money and that at, at the root of all evil is a love of money. Now, James is not saying, Paul is not saying, Jesus doesn't say that having money is wrong. In fact, having wealth is not wrong. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. And so we see throughout Scripture examples of faithful, godly people who had income and resources, Abraham, David, many others. It's not a sin to have money. Listen, it's not a sin to have money. It's a sin if your money has you. And Jesus is able to call it out in our hearts and our lives. What's going to be most important? What's going to be most significant? And as God entrusts us with resources, how are we going to use them to advance the gospel and to further the kingdom of God? Let's dive in to James chapter 5 as we see a warning to those that are wealthy. First of all, notice the failure of those who trust in wealth. The failure of those who trust in wealth. We see this in verse 4 and verse 6. Now clearly, this must have been a prevailing issue at the church at Jerusalem because James deals with this on more than one occasion. James is talking about the the problem that exists in the society in that day in Jerusalem. There was a, a class war and the wealthy would oppress the poor and they wouldn't pay them what they owed them. And the poor had absolutely no recourse and they had absolutely no way to get their money back or to get what they were owed. And so here James is saying that this in society has even crept into the church, and even in the church, the wealthy act like they're more important and significant in the kingdom of God, and the poor, they act like the poor are insignificant and unimportant in the grand scheme of things in the kingdom of God. James has dealt with this before, back in James chapter 2 and verse 5. Just a page over in my Bible, in chapter 2 and verse 5, James James says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? So he's already dealt with this issue in the church. But then notice what he says in verse 4. He tells the wealthy wicked that they've been oppressing the poor. And listen to what he says. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What's he saying? He's saying those that are wealthy, that own land, they've hired poor people to do work for them. They've hired the poor and they've asked them to mow their field or they've asked them to harvest their grain. And so they've mowed their fields and they've harvested their grain. The job is done and they show up for their wages and they don't get paid. Imagine a modern day scenario where uh, let's just say you want to get your kitchen remodeled And so you decide to hire someone, a contractor comes in, and you get your kitchen remodeled, and the job is done, and everything is finished, and it's just like you want it, and then you say, I'm not going to pay you for the work that you did. That's wrong. It's unacceptable. It's ungodly. At least in our day, there would be a legal system where there might be recourse. In James's day, the judges were in the pockets of the wealthy. And so the the poor could do absolutely nothing for recourse to get the money that they were owed. And the wealthy would hire them. They would do the work and they'd hope to get paid and they'd never get paid. And this was also happening in the context of the church. God forbid. He goes on to say, not just verse 4, but in verse 6, he goes on to level another charge. It wasn't just fraud. He says, you've you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person, the the righteous poor. Now, I don't think James is speaking literally that you have literally taken someone's life and you've murdered them. Figuratively means you are, you're pressing them to the point where they have no money, they have no resources, they can't buy food, they're going to starve to death. You are killing them. You are, you're taking everything away from them and he doesn't even resist you. The only thing that he can do is cry out to the Lord for justice. If he goes to the courts, he can't afford a lawyer. And even if he could afford a lawyer, the judge is in the back pocket of the wealthy. And so here, James is saying that there are those who've trusted in their resources and money is their God, and then they use it to oppress everyone else. He says in verse 6 of chapter 2, do not the rich men oppress you. They draw you before the judgment seats. And here he says, he does not resist you. There's nothing he can do. I heard about a man who was on vacation. He was walking along the beach. And he saw a woman who was kneeling down in front of her little toddler, and it was clear this toddler was choking. The man rushed over and said to the woman, what's the problem? She said, he he swallowed a quarter, he swallowed a coin, it's stuck in his throat, I don't know what to do. And immediately the man knew what to do. He picked up the little boy, grabbed him by the feet, he began to hit him on his back, and immediately the coin came out. The woman said, thank you so much, sir. I I know that that you must be a doctor. You knew exactly how to get that coin out of my son. He said, no, I'm not a doctor. I work for the Internal Revenue Service. It comes naturally for us. (laughs) In your life and in mine, if we're not careful, we will get choked up when it comes to money. We'll allow that to, uh, to become our God, to become the most important thing in our life. Those that that only focus on the things money can buy are in great danger of losing the things money can't buy. That are so much more significant, so much more important. Here, we need to remember that our priority, the most important thing in our life must be our relationship with God. Then that must inform everything else. We see the failure of those who trust in wealth Money will fail you in the end. Secondly, notice the foolishness of those who trust in wealth. In in verse 5 of chapter 5, James gives us a striking analogy, draws a picture. And I I know by now, you realize that as a preacher, James does not hold back. And that's exactly what we see here in verse 5. He describes the foolishness of trusting in worldly possessions. And again, I want to make a distinction Before we look at verse 5, there's an important distinction we need to remember. It is not a sin to enjoy the blessings of God. It is not a sin to enjoy the material possessions that God has entrusted to you. That is not a sin. But it is a sin to be self-indulgent, to be selfish and wasteful. It is a sin to trust in riches and resources. And James describes the person like that in verse 5. He says, look at this, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You you see the analogy, don't you? You see the picture that he's painting. Like, Like cattle being prepared for slaughter, like hogs being prepared for slaughter. Man, they get the best of the best. When you're preparing an animal for slaughter, man, you feed them the very best. You get them fat. You get them happy. They just don't know what's coming. They don't know that slaughter, judgment is on the way. And the same thing with those that are the wicked and wealthy. James is saying, you've got everything that you want. You think you've got everything that you need. And you think that all of this money and all of these resources, that they are for your comfort. But really what's going to happen is, you're like the calf that has been fattened in the day of slaughter. And ultimately, judgment is coming. You just don't know it. you fatten your heart's. As in the day of slaughter, the rich had become rich and wealthy off the backs of the poor. And James is saying there's a judgment coming. You see, money is a wonderful servant, but it is a horrible master. God wants us to use the resources he's entrusted to us to advance his kingdom, to help those that are less fortunate. I heard about a rich businessman who was walking along the coast one day, and he saw a fisherman, a professional fisherman, It was about midway through the day and the fisherman was just leaned back in his chair, his pole was up, no line in the water. He was just looking out at the lake, looking out at the ocean, looking out and enjoying the view. The businessman said, what are you doing? Why aren't you fishing? The fisherman said, well, I've already caught enough fish for the day. The businessman said, well, why don't you catch more? The fisherman said, well, then what would I do? He said, you could catch more and you could sell the extra. You could buy more nets and rods and you could catch more fish. Then, when you catch more fish, you could hire more fishermen and you could get more boats and you could go get nicer boats and go fish out deeper and you could, you could have a fleet of boats. You could sell your fish. You could become wealthy and, and independent. He said, Well, if I become wealthy and independent, then what will I do? The businessman looked back at the fisherman and said, You could sit back, relax, and just enjoy life. The fisherman said, What do you think I'm doing now? You see the difference in perspective? Can I tell you something this morning? If you spend your life chasing the almighty dollar, you might catch some dollars, but you're going to end up tired. They asked Nelson Rockefeller, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. It's never enough. And if money is your God, if wealth is your goal, it will never satisfy. James is dealing with those who oppress others with their wealth. We see the failure of those who trust in wealth. Secondly, we see the foolishness of those who trust in wealth. And thirdly, we see the future of those who trust in wealth. I I skipped the first three verses of this passage because this really is the harshest criticism and it's reserved here for the end of our message. James leads with it, man, right there in verses one through three. He's telling those that are wealthy exactly what they should uh, expect to experience. Don't be surprised here. James does not hold back. What does he say? He says initially right there in verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl. Those of you who are rich ought to be miserable. Why? Doesn't that seem backwards? Doesn't that seem like it, it would be the opposite, that the poor would be miserable, that the poor should weep and howl, that they can't enjoy life. But no, James is saying the rich should be miserable, the rich should weep and howl. They ought not to have any joy. Why? Because of what's coming. And this is what James says. He said, your riches have rotted your garments your gold and silver have corroded now again james uses figurative language it's not like the rich open their closet and all of a sudden their clothes are completely moth eaten and it's not like they're holding gold in their hands and their gold corrodes gold doesn't rust like iron rusts James is making a figurative point that all of these things that we depend on, that all of these things that we place our life in, that all of these things that we trust in, that ultimately they will not last. And so you can always get a nicer vehicle, or you can earn more money and get a nicer house, or you can buy a nicer car, you can get a new boat, you can get all of these things, but all of these things will not last in the end, and you need to make sure you've got the proper perspective regarding life and think about beyond just this life, but eternity. Who's your master? Who's your Lord? In, in fact, right here in verse 3, he says are going to be evidence against you. Look at what he says in verse 3. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Man, that's a strong verse. All of this stuff that you gain in life in order to get ahead and to make a difference and to keep up with the Joneses, all this stuff that you gather together and and you're depending on it instead of depending on the Lord, it's evidence in the last days that you trusted your life to riches instead of trusting your life... to the Savior, to the Lord. He says it'll, it'll speak against you because you laid up all of this stuff for the last days. As I was studying this week, I came across an article in the Associated Press. It was about someone who, who rented a safety deposit box at a bank in India. And inside the safety deposit box, they placed 10 million rupees. 10 million rupees sounds like a lot of money. And it is in in. American dollars, that's $222,000. Placed it in the safety deposit box. When he went to open the safety deposit box, he opened it up and he discovered that all of his money had been eaten up by termites. He'd put his hand in there and it just crumbled. So the police were called, the insurance company was called. Police came out and they started an insurance claim. The bank had had problems with termites before. It made me think, as I I thought about this person opening the box, expecting to see all kinds of money, and then seeing it completely disappear, it made me think about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, and verse 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupt, and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not corrupt, and thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ah. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A lot of us, we spend our life accumulating stuff, and in the end, when we open the box, we'll reach down in there and we'll find that it just runs right through our fingers. When you invest in the kingdom of God, when you invest in the souls of mankind, when you invest your time in the word of God, those are things that last forever. We've bought a lie that the almighty dollar somehow will bring us hope and satisfaction and rescue us in the end. It will not, it does not. Entrust your life to almighty God. What good is it to have the things that money can't buy if you don't have the things that money What good is it to have the things money can buy if you don't have the things money can't buy? Money can buy a $500,000 house, but it can't buy a home. Money can buy a million dollar diamond ring, but it can't buy you love. Is it God intends for us to use the resources he's entrusted to us to advance the kingdom, to reach people with the gospel? of Jesus Christ. We tend to think that money will bring happiness. All of us today probably have some money trouble. We could say, if I just had this much money, all my problems would be solved. There are people in the United States of America, even in churches, that believe that money will fix their issues. If I just had a certain amount, then it would be okay. There's a man named Jack Whitaker who believed the same thing. Jack Whitaker was a successful businessman, middle-class American, until Christmas day of 2002, Jack Whitaker won the Powerball lottery. At that time, in 2002, it was the largest sum ever paid out in lottery winnings, $314 million. You think if I just had $314 million, all my problems would go away. The reality for Jack Whitaker, Christmas Day, 2002, $314 million, his problems just began. Over the next decade, his life began to unravel. He lost a granddaughter and his granddaughter's boyfriend to a drug overdose. His daughter also passed away in that next decade. He was robbed at gunpoint multiple times. He was arrested, charged for driving under the influence. He also had had been sued multiple times for not paying his bills. One of the largest suits against him was from the Caesar's Atlantic Casino. They sued him for $1.5 million in unpaid gambling debt. Jack Whitaker thought $314 million is going to fix all of my problems and all it did was heap sorrow upon sorrow. Because when you focus on money and when you believe that that's the answer, what you'll discover is it doesn't last. It doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring hope. It doesn't bring happiness. It does not bring fulfillment. So why does Jesus say you can't serve God in money? because he knows the tendency of your heart and of mine is to depend on wealth and resources, to buy into the American dream and the world system a whole lot more than we buy into the kingdom of God and eternity. We will sell our souls for temporary pleasures instead of trusting in Jesus Christ for eternity. Don't buy the lie. He doesn't say you can't serve God and have money, but you can't serve God and serve money. And we need to remember the most valuable thing on earth is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that saves your eternal soul. I want to ask if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes all over this place. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Has there been a time in your life where you've trusted in Christ? Have you repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus? The Bible says that we're all sinners, we're separated from God as a result of sin. That what we deserve is judgment, death, and hell. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ came, he loved us while we were sinners, he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He died on the cross, a death that we deserved. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Then the Bible says he didn't stay dead, he rose again on the third day. He conquered death, hell, the grave, all of his enemies. The Bible tells us that He rose again, and now He offers hope, salvation, rescue, and redemption for anyone who trusts and believes in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted in Christ. You can do that right now today. Do you know you have a relationship with God? Is He the most important thing in your life? Have you been depending upon upon other things, money, resources, popularity, fame, prestige, the, the, the call of the world. Have you been depending on that instead of trusting in Jesus? You can know Him today. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Jim, there's never been a time in my life where I've trusted in Christ, but I want to do that today. You can do that today. You can talk to God through prayer. Prayer is not some magical, mystical language prayer is just talking to God. You can say something like this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know the Savior is Jesus and I trust in Jesus. I repent of my sins and I place my faith and trust in Him. I want to follow Him. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you.